Hello, my fellow fallible humans. I'm Tanya McIntyre, and this is the Red Roof Recovery Show. It's an addiction recovery program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. And it's not just for addictions, it's for life. I first want to take a moment to thank my dear friend, fabulous musician, singer-songwriter, Russell Allen Scott. He wrote this beautiful piece of music. It's called Greatest Bravery. Thank you, Russell. I use a variety of rational, emotive, and other cognitive behavioral therapy tools and techniques in my own recovery that I'm going to be sharing on every episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show. And since checking myself into a rehab facility way back in 2009, I've discovered that there are literally hundreds of tools that you can use to manage addiction recovery. The key is to keep looking until you find something that resonates for you. When you find something that clicks for you, you want to grab onto that and then do more of it. Assuming that it's something good for you, of course. During my years of addiction, I managed to maintain one of the most important relationships in my life for which I am forever grateful. I maintained my marriage to my life partner, my husband, my best friend, who has bravely agreed to join me for another episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show. My darling Lancelot, thank you so much for being here. Your support is uh, just so extraordinary to me. Thank you. Hello, Manav. It's good to be here again. On previous episodes, you have shared your experience about what it was like to live with and watch someone you love slowly killing themselves with drugs and alcohol. You've also asked me several questions to better help you understand what it was like for me to live with addiction and feel helpless to change. And in my years of facilitating recovery meetings, there are recurring topics that come up for people who are challenged with mental health disorders like addiction. And those recurring topics tend to be around shame and guilt. We feel guilty about our loved ones having to live with us because we feel unworthy of their love and their patience and their support. And we feel shame for being unable to change the fact that we're suffering from a chronic illness that in many ways feels beyond our control. I've been a SMART facilitator since 2018. SMART is an acronym for self-management and recovery training. It's an addiction recovery program that uses rational, emotive, and other cognitive behavior therapies to help people abstain from harmful substances and behaviors. And I have managed to sustain my recovery over that time since becoming a SMART facilitator in 2018. And I'm grateful for that because I was a chronic relapser in 12-step programs. So this is something that I've become very passionate about. And that is how Red Roof Recovery has evolved. Red Roof Recovery is an addiction recovery program that is inclusive, non-judgmental, and customizable for each individual. Because we're all different animals, our addictions are different, addiction affects everyone differently, our rock bottom, as they say, when you've hit bottom to seek recovery, that looks different for everybody, absolutely. And our recovery path is going to look different for each of us because we're all different. So there's no one box program that's going to be one size fits all for everybody, which is why I always stress that it's important that you continue looking for something until you find something that works for you, something that resonates, something that clicks for you. 
Because once that switch is clicked on, your recovery just kicks into high gear. And then life gets easier. I'm testimony to that. So just keep looking. So we're going to talk about those recurring topics that come up in recovery circles. Guilt and shame. So what is the definition or are the definitions of guilt and shame? And are, is it the same emotion or is it the same thing? Well, no, it's not the same thing. Um, guilt and shame are not the same. So I've heard somebody in recovery actually say it succinctly in a way that guilt is uh, something we feel for something that we've done. Shame is something that we feel intrinsically. It runs deep for something that we feel we are. So we, we take it on as part of our being, which is why it's so painful. Guilt and shame, understanding the difference, I think, between them can help us work through the negative self-judgments that tends to come not only in addiction recovery, but life. You know, I, I've started to say, this is not just for addictions. This is for life. Uh, you know, I think for me, I became addicted. I was taking drugs and alcohol for two reasons, to reduce pain and increase pleasure, sometimes both. And the addictions progressed over the years because of my inability to manage my life. And then I was more prone to becoming addicted for whatever reason. Some of us are more prone to addictions than others. Why? That question remains unanswered. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also said that one of the reasons, as you've always put it, is that alcohol was the social lubricant. It made you more gregarious. When I first met you, we used to go to um, meetings and seminars, and you were out there, you were shaking hands, and, and you said you've come to realize that that was the alcohol doing that basically you're a, you're an introvert which is strange for someone doing this type of stuff and being on radio and tv but it was the alcohol that facilitated you being that person in the room and since you've stopped or abstaining you've you feel like you've lost that ability is that right that is how I feel, is that um, I feel more isolated, definitely, since I've abstained from drugs and alcohol. I feel, um, I mean, they call it a social lubricant for a reason. Absolutely. It gave me a bravado, a false bravado. I often uh, talk about my favorite quote being from uh, Shakespeare when he said, All the world is a stage and men and women merely players. And I think that's how I, I feel. I'm a, I'm a player in life. Um, in my early life, I was given a role to play, um, a role to fulfill, behaviors to follow, rules to follow, religion to follow, uh, societal but, constructs. But that, are, that's pretty well everyone. That's everyone, absolutely. So it's how we manage that role that we're playing. For me, I, I became more comfortable in the role when I had substances to alleviate the anxiety. Everyone I talk to now talks about being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I think we all have generalized anxiety disorder. I think we all have levels of depression. I think yeah, there are different reasons for depression, as we've mm -hmm. spoken about. Yeah, some of it can be circumstantial. 
Very much so. Mine definitely circumstantial. Mm-hmm. Since I've retired, my whole mindset has changed. Mm-hmm. We could delve into that a little deeper too. Quite possibly. But today it's guilt and shame. <laughs> right. So when I think when we can distinguish between guilt and shame and how those make us feel, uh, then it gets a little easier for us to take a deeper look at those negative self-judgments that we make, which is why I'm I'm so... I think passionate around rational, emotive, and other cognitive behavior therapies because it encourages me to direct rational analysis inward instead of looking for solutions outward, which is, I think, what I was doing. Most people do. (laughs) So guilt is experienced when we behave in ways that don't align with our values or the perceived values of others and society. So in SMART, self-management and recovery training, we do group exercises. And uh, when you get to know SMART Recovery, you can check out their website at smartrecovery.org. And in the toolbox tab, there are various uh, fillable PDFs that we use in a group meeting setting. And one of those is called HOV, the Hierarchy of Values. And it's surprising how many people have never taken the time to define their values. So it's a really eye-opening exercise for people to go through. It certainly has been for me because then that helps you start getting a, a bigger picture of where is the guilt coming from? It's when we're doing things that don't align with our values. When we behave in ways that don't align with our values and then shame on the other hand, is a deeply held belief about our unworthiness as a person. Oh my gosh, this comes up so much. Is that people are not feeling worthy of being in existence. They don't feel worthy of being a human on this planet Earth. It's an intensely painful feeling of being fundamentally and morally flawed. Shame can often begin in childhood and it grows throughout our lives. So people have accused me of bashing 12-step programs, and I never, ever, ever do that. 12-step programs saved my life, (laughs) without question. If it wasn't for AA and NA, I don't think I would be alive. And that was the only model of recovery available when I checked myself into a rehab back in 2009. It gave me a great foundation for my recovery. What I have grown to appreciate over the years, however— is that it's a program that was written in the mid-30s, 1935, I believe it started. And back when it was written, it was written by two Christian men who found ways to maintain their abstinence from alcohol. And it has grown throughout the world because it was the only model of recovery available at that time. For me, being a chronic relapser in 12-step programs opened my eyes to the fact that it doesn't work for everybody. It works for some, but not everybody, because we're all different people. We're different animals that are going to resonate with different things. So after going to my third funeral in as many months in 12-step programs in my little community of Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario, I thought, this is just going to be a matter of time before I don't return from one of my relapses. I would abstain for a couple of years, and then I would think, oh, good, I'm cured. I'm fine now. I've done all the hard work. Now I can have that glass of wine with dinner or whatever. And I can't. I will never be able to have a glass of wine with dinner ever again for the rest of my life. (laughs) 
that's why I think I kept relapsing is because I didn't want to accept that. I didn't want to feel abnormal, flawed, defective. And those are the messages that we get sometimes from 12-step programs. I didn't like calling myself an alcoholic and an addict. Smart self-management and recovery training discourages you from labeling yourself. Labels belong on food, not people. And it felt heavy for me to sit in meetings and say, hi, I'm Tanya and I'm an alcoholic and addict. It just felt so heavy. It didn't, it didn't empower me to stay motivated to abstain from my so addiction. What feeling did it give you? Did it, did it instill shame? Of, it, it made if, me feel shameful. It, it instilled a, a shame based. Absolutely. Thing. It made me feel shamed. So, how did, how did you get past that? I found smart self management and recovery training. And then that offered an alternative to say, okay, th this is a self empowering program based on rational emotive, cognitive behavioral therapies, um, other things like mindfulness, lots of positive reinforcement, peer support. It's but growing exponentially, finally, in, yeah, but across a, the globe. You're a smart person. You knew that, you know, you shouldn't have been shamed by your addiction. So what was it that drove you that way? And what was it in smart, what type of tools stopped you from feeling this? this feeling of shame. Hmm. It's interesting you say, well, you're smart, because I never felt smart. I was, I was, you know, I was told I wasn't academically inclined when I was in school. I ended up quitting school in grade 10. I never felt smart, because I, I couldn't pass. I just barely made it through high school. I did go back to finish high school, but I just barely made it. So did I. So, so did you say people. I'm smart, people say I'm confident. I don't feel confident. So it's a facade that we put on Most to people put on a facade. perform and get through life and do the things. I'm, I'm doing the things that people say I'm good at, and it motivates and, and encourages people to, to do the work. So as long as I am talking to even one person who may invoke some changes that help them have a better quality of life, then I'm going to stay here with you. And while you're talking, I'm going to sip my water to alleviate the anxiety I feel around this. <laughs> so the whole thing about you projecting the whole confidence, and I think everyone does that. Yeah, it's a we, projection. As, as you said, mm -hmm. Shakespeare said, we're all players. And some people want to blend, blend into the background, some people don't. But we're all playing a role. And Absolutely. I would say the majority of people, because when I was younger, when I got divorced from my ex-wife, all, all my peers of my age were married with kids, so there was no one to go out with. So I was started to hang around with a, a younger crowd in her early 20s. I was in my early 30s. And we'd go out to a nightclub, and I'd look around, and all my acquaintances were four or five feet behind me. And one day I turned around and said, now, why are you doing this? Why, why are we? And they said to me, because you walk into a place like you own it. And I was the most introvert and least self-assured person you could meet but there was a facade i didn't want anyone to see that i was like everyone's look at me oh my god and i think we all play that i just chose not to deaden it with substances ah you say i chose not to so when when you become addicted to something it's the choice is removed from that equation so do you believe that 
I mean, I went through periods of when I got divorced and a couple of other times where I drank to excess for a long period and then I stopped. I just went, this isn't serving me. I stopped. Same with smoking. So do you think there's there's an actual something in our psyche or in our makeup that makes people more susceptible to addiction? I think definitely, um, you know, as science evolves, we are learning more and more about what addiction is. It's a complex physiological disorder. It's a brain disorder. It's an inability to process chemicals in our brain, specifically dopamine. There's a dopamine reward axis that is fundamental in most addictions. And when you get used to getting that dopamine boost from drugs and alcohol or other behaviors, it can be, you know, food, sex, gambling, shopping, uh, you get a hit of dopamine and that's not meant to happen in our physio physiological biology. When we get these big hits of dopamine, I don't want to get bogged down into numbers, but we, we deal between 40 and 100 nanos. A normal level, we're, we're maybe 50 nano, I think it's nanograms per deciliter dopamine is measured by. So if we're, if we're going through our day on an average day on a level of 50 nanos, let's just call it nanos, and we're hitting drugs and alcohol sometimes that are boosting us up into the high hundreds, and when you get into the heavier stuff like meth and heroin, you're getting in over 1,000, like 11, 1,200 nanos. So those spikes in dopamine reprogram our brain. So our brain is a chemical organ. And when it's, it's repetitively hit high like that, then addictions become even more complex. So it's all about a dopamine reward axis. It's, it's our inability to process the brain chemicals in okay. a healthy way. So learning this, that you, know, you are susceptible because you're, you're basically more susceptible to these highs and trying to chase these spikes in your it's a, yeah it's a broken pleasure sensor in the brain i think did learning that you know this was possibly something in your makeup that was causing this did this help diminish your shame it is starting to i'm getting there speaking publicly about my addictions is helping me melt away the, the feelings of guilt and shame absolutely which is why i'm a big advocate for 12-step programs to stop being anonymous. It's sending the wrong message. And is it also helping to diminish the feeling of guilt? Because guilt is, you know, when you're not aligned. So when you didn't tell the whole truth to me about when I thought you'd, you were abstaining, you weren't, you felt guilty about this. Absolutely. So now you're talking about the addictions. Does that diminish the guilt? Because it does. I think we diminish guilt when we resolve, uh, when we correct the behavior that we're feeling guilty about. So I deceived you. I lied to you. Um, when I manage now to abstain my addictions and I feel more confident in that abstinence, I feel confident in my work. And I was able then to melt away those feelings of guilt because I asked for your forgiveness. I came clean and admitted that I had deceived you and I had lied to you. It took me a long time to get there, but I did it. And that helps to melt away those feelings of guilt. 
The shame is, like I said, it's more intrinsic, it's deeper, and that, I think, improves with my continuing just to talk about addiction and recovery and encourage others to do the same. Well, I think society, when it comes to addiction, tries to shame the people with, because you're marginalized, and people definitely think that there's something defective. It's a moral failing. It's a moral as failing. Far as, like, why don't you just stop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are the, the messages that are repeated in, um, in some shame-based programs that I don't agree with. However, you take what it you need and you leave the rest. Absolutely, it works for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So as you say, it's... Take what you need, leave the rest. There are some great meetings. There are some not-so-great meetings. I'm sure there are some great smart meetings, some not-so-great smart meetings. The key is to keep going until you find something that resonates for you. So if you're talking to someone who is feeling a huge amount of guilt and shame, what are what, why, what is the advice you, you would? Well, cognitive thinking therapies, rational, emotive, other cognitive behavior therapies help us with thought processes. For instance, we can look at guilt as being helpful. A feeling of psychological discomfort about something we've done that is objectively wrong. That's normally where the guilt feelings are coming from. So if I had been driving drunk and I hit somebody... Um, hopefully not killing somebody, then, you know, there's going to be a huge amount of guilt that comes from that. The cause of the feeling is caused by actions and behaviors that break objective and legal definitions of right and wrong. We act it in a way that breaks objective standards of moral behavior. So we could, yeah, we could get into another 30 minutes of that alone. Yeah, because morals are are fluid. They are fluid, yes. What was moral in the turn of the 1900s? We look back on, we've seen on social media and that, that, you know, that the morals back then do not align with our morals now. Correct. And we can't judge morals from yesteryear to morals of today as well, like tearing down monuments. Yeah. (laughs) We can experience guilt as early as three years old, and developmentally guilt is a more mature emotion than shame. Helpful guilt can be potentially positive by allowing us to seek forgiveness and correct a wrong. This can lead to healing. Healthy guilt resolves as we repair the damage that we've caused. So restorative justice is very helpful in cases like this. Instead of sending people to jail, prison, for doing stuff under the influence of drugs and alcohol, being addicted, our prisons are filled with people who are suffering with addictions not the place to treat people with addictions in a prison setting, but that's where we are. So restorative justice can be more effective, allowing someone to resolve the damage that they've done and ask for forgiveness. That's a very healing process. So in recovery circles, you'll often hear the phrase, catch it, check it, change it. You catch it, you admit and face the behavior. You check it, you take responsibility for the harm done, and you change it. You seek forgiveness from the people affected and change the behavior and attitudes that created the harm. That can be helpful guilt. Unhelpful guilt, on the other hand, is a feeling of psychological discomfort about something we've done against our irrationally high standards. Example, you forgot someone's name or birthday or anniversary. 
Those are common things. The feeling is caused by actions, behaviors that break irrationally high standards that usually developed in our childhood to please an adult. So these are deeply rooted things <laughs> that take a while to, to dig out. Unhelpful guilt can keep us trapped in self-punishment. The best way to work with unhealthy guilt is to practice self-compassion. Work to understand that everyone has a combination of strengths and weaknesses. You are not alone. Seek to connect with others for peer support. How can we turn unhelpful, irrational, guilty thoughts into healthy, rational, remorseful thoughts? It's a little switch. Instead of calling it guilt, call it remorse. Unhelpful, guilty thoughts can often be, why did I do this again? What was I thinking? I'm no good. I'm such a loser. I'm a lowlife who doesn't deserve to be happy. I have to hide this. I feel awful. Helpful, remorseful thoughts can become, I'm sorry that I did what I did. I really don't want to be doing this. I want to get some help. I feel bad about what I did. I know I can do better than this. I know I can improve if I work at it. I acted impulsively. I can, I can think things through next time, and I can achieve a better result. That is more helpful, remorseful thoughts instead of unhelpful, guilty thoughts. So do, do you feel that Taking responsibility for what you had done helped you on your recovery? Instead of just feeling shame and hiding it, you actually owned up and took responsibility for your yeah, actions? Definitely. And <laughs> so you would say that someone that basically just gives up and blames, oh, this is, this is the way I am, I'm never going to be, has a harder time in recovery? Well, yeah, if you, if you do have that resistance, that outcome resistance, treatment resistance, then you need, to, you need to work with someone to melt those feelings away. That can take a longer time. So you believe, I think you said, that you need to be sure about it and to have a certain amount of skin in the game, as in you really need to do the work and buy into this is what the rest of my life is going to look like. Mm-hmm. What I love about 12-step programs is some of their slogans, right? Because they ring true in all of life. You, you know, take what you need, leave the rest, live one day at a time, and it works when you work it. Mm -hmm. So programs are going to work when we work at them, and it's all about timing. I can't stress it enough. I mean, you got to be ready. You can't be doing it for somebody else. That's why interventions very rarely work. And consistency. Yes, Wait, my, favorite, my favorite mentor, Dr. David Burns, uh, you'll hear me quote him a lot. He has a fantastic website, very resourceful, feelinggood.com. And he says, the most crucial predictor of recovery and success is having a persistent willingness to exert consistent efforts to help yourself. You got to be there. It's got to be the right timing. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. But that's, that's the whole of life. Absolutely, it is. When dealing with life's adversities, people who are afflicted with mental health disorders like addiction can get caught up with lots of heightened emotions that come from not only mental health disorders, but also from dealing with the discrimination from society and governments. Let's face it, life is complicated. People are complicated. There are no simple solutions for complex problems of life, addiction, and recovery. 
So I'm convinced that my sustained recovery from mental health disorders comes from my persistent willingness to exert consistent efforts to help myself. I hope today's episode has offered some insights for you. Thanks so much for being here and listening. Your support is an integral part of my recovery journey, and I thank you. Thank you lots a lot. You are my shining star. Thank you so much. If you think you or someone you know may qualify for my unique residential recovery program, by all means, please reach out to me at redroofrecovery at gmail.com. I have a couple of books in honor of my philosopher dad, Mindful Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad, and Daily Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad. Both are available on Amazon.ca, as well as at Finchers in the Square of Canada's Prettiest Town in Godrich, Ontario. What I love about the Daily Wisdom book is it's set up like a journal to give you a chance to contemplate because the power of the written word is very, very powerful and it can be life transformational. Thank you. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force.